Welcome, 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 one and all, big and small. You've reached the podcast known as The Three Carnies. So come on, let's show you around. Welcome to another wonderful episode of The Three Carnies. I'm Jen. And I'm Monica. And I'm Tana. Uh, This week is going to be a little bit different. We will be discussing uh, season one as a whole. So I thought we should just get started and what we all think of what in a few words or a few sentences, what do you guys, what are your overall thoughts of season one, basically? For a, if I was to put this into a couple sentences, I would say it season one was gorgeous. It looked absolutely gorgeous. And I also think it was a roller coaster as far as what was going on. And an emotional roller coaster, it grabbed me. But also, I think there was some episodes that were lower quality and some episodes that were the most amazing quality. So up and down. Yeah, I think this season, it, to me, it really feels like one big pilot. <laughs> like they had, like Monica was saying, amazing episodes peppered in with some okay ones. But it feels like at the finale, they finally just got their tone down. Like, oh, okay, this is the story we're meant to tell. And so all of it just feels like this complete immersion into a world. And now I'm ready to like see what happens. How about you, Tana? For me, I liked like the sense of like foreboding and the creepy aspect of the season. I really wish they focused more on mythology or instead it ended up being a lot about relationships, which is fine for television, but I don't know. That wasn't really my main point. I feel like they shouldn't have kept most of their cards to the chest. And I also feel like they definitely stalled a bit in the middle. Well, do you think that's because they didn't have, and if anybody on this podcast would know, you would, <laughs> they didn't have it completely mapped out. Like they really weren't sure what kind of show they wanted to be. Or do you think that was, okay, we're going to try and cater to different audiences? I feel like there was probably a bit of a, like a back and forth in the writer's room. Like, I think, like, Daniel Knopf know what story he wanted to tell, but they got a different showrunner and the showrunner said, oh, you need to focus on this other stuff. So then that's like how it got to be less mythology base and that's why I think I think Ben's storyline stalls a lot yeah and I, I did hear Daniel Knopf say in a couple in like this long-form podcast episode that some of the middle episodes he didn't love as much because he felt that they were sometimes throwing in weird for weirdness's sake are we going back to that glass jar is that what we're going to <laughs> it was about to cough and be like Feed us in the jar. <laughs> yeah, I agree with that. I was just going to mention, he also specifically called out Black Blizzard as an episode that he thought could have been much better that kind of just stalled out with a bunch of weird for weirdness sake. Yeah, that was one of the bits that had the lack of continuity with the whole he heals himself thing. Yeah, because he healed himself in that episode, but none of the others. This season, I noticed more 
inconsistencies than I have when I've watched it before, and I don't think they kept track of the show Bible quite as much as they should have. Yeah, like the plot was in a um, fast-moving wagon. <laughs> I tend to think that they were they didn't have it all mapped out and agreed upon at the start. What do you guys think that they did write? What are some of the strengths that really stick out to you? I think one of their best strengths is, of course, the cast. I don't think they cast like, a bad actor or a wrong fit at all. I think everyone is pretty great. Everyone looks like they could have came from out of a history textbook. And I like that they kept that everyone as a character actor and not someone that was like super famous. And they all worked really well together. They had amazing chemistry. I think that's definitely like one of their big strengths. I think one of the strengths was the cinematography and the effects. It doesn't look dated at all, especially considering this was 2002 and just how lusciously the external sets look and how they framed things. It was just such a beautiful season. Yeah, talking about effects, and they had that pretty decent CGI with the field of lush crops and decay. Comparatively, what they had going on around the time, I think that was pretty amazing. I also really like the costumes. Now, is that my favorite strength? No, but Tina, you already said the cast, who I love to pieces. But certain period dramas, they are really good with those details, and you feel authentic when you watch it. You feel like you're immersed. And then sometimes... It's really just people who are throwing everything they can under the sink with the kitchen sink on things that were popular. I feel like the attention to detail and the specific items they would put in the scenes were just so spot on that, and we've talked about this before, where this show does not feel dated. It feels like a period piece, but it doesn't feel like out of and out of order. Yeah, I also like how they try to get as many things from the 30s as possible. Like in the episode one commentary, they were excited about, oh, they had a real generator. All the clothes were real. They got as many props as they could. And <laughs> yeah, Clancy Brown's palmade that may or may not have impacted his health long term. <laughs> Very method, I think. What were some of the biggest weaknesses you guys saw? Pacing. Pick a number was brilliant and Babylon was brilliant. And then there was like three episodes after that, I think, were pretty mediocre. And as Tana was saying, they relied a little bit too much on soap opera aspects and less of the mythical storyline where they probably could have balanced that a little bit better. Sure. Do you think the kind of soap opera type mini plots, if you will, made you care about the characters more or get any more attached or is more like, come on, let's go see the fire and the demon? I personally liked the Jonesy Felix love triangle and I think it played into the trauma that Rita Sue and Felix and the disconnect they were feeling. And so I don't know if I want it to go away totally. I just would have liked it to be a little bit more balanced in those episodes. I think what I liked, at least, I mean, that all the different episodes, they always found a way to and bring me humanity back to the characters. The, the Cooch family having a meal or dinner at the Crow's household. Hey, as creepy as that one was. And so the balance 
that these are average people de dealing with um, supernatural experiences. I enjoyed that aspect. I think, like, biggest weakness for me was the little bits that just didn't go nowhere and they really didn't need to be in there. There was just a little bit of trimming that I would have liked to see with some of the characters and, like I said, tiny plots that just didn't really add to either of those. They didn't make me more attached to the characters and they didn't make me more interested to see the, the supernatural aspect. Like, I'm thinking of Gecko and the twins and those individuals. I'm so disappointed that the Gecko and the twins don't have a storyline at all or bring anything to the table. They're just there for show. Blah. <laughs> Makes me mad. Yeah. Just atmosphere. They, they could have been a plot device. Oh no, that's on fire! Yeah, and I think kind of that's came up in the discussion. In the first half of the season, I was really excited about how the show represented women as very multidimensional and as the season kind of went on it feels like that got reduced a little bit especially with Lila and then also Ruthie a bit and Rita Sue and then god even Sophie a lot of the women's plot points towards the second half of that season revolved around their romances and feelings with men their characters were centered around men more than they were in the first half that's a, a good observation I think it's probably the most apparent when you mentioned that list for Lila but you're right like, like in the second half it really is Rita Sue is upset about this and she's about that and Sophie and Jonesy and all that business I just I never thought of yeah, it's so relationshipy in the second half. That's all that goes down mainly. So one one thing that I'm super curious about, Jen, since you said that it's been a while since you rewatched it and you didn't really remember what was coming up, what were the moments where you went, "Oh my God, that happened!" Like, what surprised you? <laughs> Everything. <laughs> Like, my memory of season one was basically like, okay, they've got some really, like, supernatural good versus evil, evil fight, and Nick Stahl's really hot, and there's, like, a bunch of, like, relationship drama. Like, <laughs> those are my initial impressions way back when. But now, like, on a rewatch, it's... And, and part of it is, all of the shows that I've seen in between then and now, like, it's so... It's a beautiful place to visit. Like you're talking about the cinematography and you're talking about like the acting and the little tiny details in the story and the characters' stories. I just, their performances shown out and I appreciated how they weave the main story of what they wanted to tell. And that stuck with me much more than the first go round. Were there any plot twists that surprised you? The ones that stick out are about like, Justin so the Justin and Norman that like whole confrontation and then Iris basically saying grow up that like scene and then she's like, oh by the way I set kids on fire but it's cool because it's for you and God <laughs> like all of those things were 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 big because that's as much as 
and we've talked about this of like Justin and his gift versus like Ben and his gift and how I mean a lot on Justin's side is this oh I get to have all this power and then Ben's all I just want to sleep like he has a lot of a lot of uh, conflict against embracing that and understanding that and then a lot of ignorance on that gift as well so I think those are the biggest moments that stick out is all on the house Justin yeah Tana for knowing the series what are some things that like little tiny pieces that you picked up now that you didn't before new things I picked up I liked when I believe it was what episode was this I think it was seven or eight I don't know, before he... No, wait, I must have been six. Yes, I believe Monica said this is during the Brother Justin scene and he's contemplating in the burned church and then Iris comes in and asks him to go home and Justin's, I'm looking for a sign and then... So I did put that together. So that was kind of new. I'm like, oh yeah, that makes so much sense. Because now <laughs> when I watch it regular regularly, I don't really think about it too much but like now that we're doing this podcast it's making me try and look at things more critically and pick up on new things and I'm having a lot of fun with that (laughs) yeah nice you know one thing that we haven't brought up yet and something that I don't know I wonder what you guys think about it but like the music in this season both the pieces that are the composing pieces and like the old-timey ones how amazing were those? Yeah, it was great. They really used music to such an advantage to create whatever atmosphere they were trying to get. It was top-notch. Yeah, I love the music too. I love that they have certain, I guess, melodies for specific characters. There's one for Justin, and he has the horns. And then there's one for Sophie, and she has like these weepy strings. And... Yeah, I think they all play nice together. I also like their choices in soundtrack. So we've had 12 hours to look at everyone. Who's favorite for y'all? Who's the favorite character? Who's, who is the one that you're like, ah, after 12 hours of deliberation, this is my choice. I can't quite pick one. So I'm going to pick pre-Dora May's death and post-Dora May's death. I think pre-Dora May's death, 100% Sophie. She was just so rad that I want to be her when I grow up. She wasn't perfect. She was independent. She had a sense of humor. She was stubborn, but caring. She seemed just very drawn out. After Dora May's death, I think Sophie got a little bit more one-dimensional towards Jonesy and revenge kind of actions. But I think Rita Sue got really nicely drawn out where she was suffering but trying to be strong and making decisions for the business and making decisions for the family and just showing her vulnerability but then showing when she had a wall up. That's my spiel about that. How about you, Tana? I think for season one on the whole, my favorite is going to be Samson. I like Samson. He knows when to turn on the charm and when to be very steely and forceful. He kind of knows what's going on about like every aspect of the carnival. I love his relationships with other people. Like him and Joan's relationship is really great. 
and even like his with Ruthie's. You could tell there's a lot of like respect there and longevity. Yes. <laughs> okay, I'm just saying, yeah, it's Samson. <laughs> Uh, I mean, everyone knows I'm going to pick Tommy Dolan, <laughs> but no, Iris was my standout from mm. top to bottom. That woman's a bunch of spiderwebs. I love to watch every second of her. Um, <laughs> for one, she goes toe-to-toe with Clancy Brown. Not many actresses can do that. Two, she has, like I was saying, spider. She has these layers of like grace and femininity and strength and on the positive, on the negative, secrecy and manipulation. She has a loyalty to Justin, but she also is not above going on her own. And and she starts off so meek. Like she starts off in this, just singing in the church and she's having a good time. Oh no, somebody's stealing from the church. Got to deal with that. Making people tea. Like other people can't make their tea. And so you get this impression that she's just a disciple of her brother, whatever he does, but then she just, she can flip it really quick. I love that very much. My close runner-up though was Felix. I kind of see him. I'm going to say this. I don't know if I'm going to stand by it, but I think he's like the heart of the show in that he is so comfortably flawed. He can trick patrons into giving their money, but also he's a dad. And he is easy, his his pride is wounded, but he also does in fact love his wife. And so seeing him in all the different lenses, you know, when he's being friends with Jonesy, he's being a husband to Rita, so being a dad to the kids. And I just thought it had a wide array of performances. We're always seeing him feel a lot. And I thought it was really beautiful. Iris is a good one. In one of the HBO Comic-Con panels back in the day, Amy Madigan mentioned that pretty much everyone of a certain age in Hollywood at that time was going for that role because there just wasn't that many roles for women that age and complex and interesting. So she said in the casting room, it was really intimidating. I bet. And she was written so well, right? Like how many women, how many actresses can balance, just take age out of it, right? But can balance that degree of femininity, but she's just a tough human. And yeah, I just appreciated her. So who stands out for the least favorite character of the season? Definitely Lodes and Lila, because I feel like most of their scenes are just there to irritate you, especially (laughs) in the second half with Lila. That's all she's there to do, to irritate, to be an irritant. Yeah. Which is such a shame. I know. It's true, though. I, I don't disagree at all. I just, she started off knitting thongs and she turned out to be like this waspy woman. Did yeah, and thongs? I don't think Lois was that interesting either. It's, they didn't quite know what to do with those two characters other than use them as plot devices. As far as my least favorite character, but who I thought was written really well and acted really well, like a character I'm supposed to really despise, was, I don't remember his name, but he was the person who owned Chang's originally, who ended up committing suicide. I thought every scene... Carol, Carol, yes. Everything he was in he was really good at being smarmy and like a passive aggressive nice Ooh, and i want to put points for a character i really like not to go back to what we're talking 
before, but I just thought of it, is the woman that Samson and Osgood go see, the sex worker they go see. Like, for only being in one episode, she was great and multifaceted, and yeah, I really liked her character. (laughs) Yeah. They had a couple of those actors throughout the season that had like really tiny roles but just played them for perfection like offhand the woman whose baby died she sticks out a lot and oh god the guy with the in that babylon town the live guy can't remember his name stangler (laughs) i knew you knew it yes stangler he did amazing and seems like they had like small roles they were really Played to perfection. Ooh, I also like to add Eleanor to that list. I think she does really well too. Oh yeah, she did. Why can't I place who Eleanor is? She coughed up the coins in the first episode. <gasps> yes. Yes. I think it's interesting how in this season there was all these. It's it's almost like season one writers were better at writing short bursts of characters and but less skilled at the characters that were longer form that weren't totally driving the plot they didn't quite know what to do with you know like Jolene and Stangler and even the dude Sophie hooks up with in Black Blizzard, the woman with the baby that died. They're able to do characters that have a really quick arch amazingly well. Yeah, I, I agree with that. The I was just thinking as you were talking about that and like arts and stuff about how interesting is it that like Ben is a central character and his scenes are acted beautifully and his he's got some really great dialogue written. And yet his plot is just, yep, you got the gift. Don't dream. Out of 12 episodes. Yeah, totally. How interesting is that? Like, how many shows do that, I guess is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, it's like the plot is everyone reacting to his gift. And they're finagling to this thing that's going on with him more than him. It's not about him, even if, though, he's the one. He's got the gift. I also don't like how we had to figure out through a few characters the same information. Like Ben had to discover who his father was, then Samson discovered who his father was, then Ruthie discovered who his father was. Like, okay, we don't need the same information like three different times. We know already. <laughs> There's a couple Wait, of characters. Who's Ben's I... father again? <laughs> Just kidding. Just kidding. Yeah. I there's a couple of characters, though, that I really don't know how to classify them. It's not my least or most favorite, but just they're interesting, but off to the side. So, like, Scudder and Management, they're just, like, Easter eggs of the season, it feels like. Scudder was a little bit more for context right now than actually driving anything. For the season, were there any themes that stuck out to you, folks? that made you laugh a lot? I always kind of like laugh a bit during the revival in episode three 
because Stumpy's really into it, the audience is really into it, and then, then like, then there's Lila, she's just, like, pretending to be, like, an over-enthusiastic audience member, and that just makes me giggle. Mm. That's a great scene. And Samson's eyes are so wide, and he's also saying Jesus, but more in the context of Jesus, you know, like, oh my god. I, the reason why I ask is because I didn't really think there's, like, any too many lighthearted moments that I can remember, but then my mind went into Sophie and Ben in the truck. Yeah, they had really good interactions in the first half. I think also the scene with Tommy Dolan, partially because it's more recent, so it's in my memory, but with Tommy Dolan and Brother Justin and Iris, where Brother Justin is like, Oh, making a deal with the devil and Tommy's, oh, come on now, I'm not that bad. And Brother Justin's, mm-hmm. it wasn't laugh out loud, but I was like, uh, yeah, I see what you did there. Oh, man-eating chicken. Osgood, for the little scenes he had, doesn't yeah. have a lot of scenes, but the little tiny ones that he has, I enjoy. Yeah. I don't know if he gets kept on for season two, but I've got my fingers crossed. I will not look it up. All right, so now we're moving into uh, themes and theories portion. And I was just wondering what you guys thought. What does every prophet in their house mean? Maybe that everyone who's an avatar knows that they're an avatar and is moving toward that avatar's goalpost. Yeah, I was thinking that pretty much means every avatar, every prophet is going to be playing a role in the long scheme of things, no matter how big or how small. I, I saw it as the chessboard is set up. So kind of what you guys are saying, but like also with this idea that everything is coming into position, the time, the place, the people, all of it. So what do you guys think is going to happen now? I think, um, I think maybe you are the best person to answer that question because I think Tana and I know pretty well what's going to happen. So what are you, Jen, thinking that's going to happen in season two? What's your prediction? Do you guys want the silly predictions or the actual predictions first? You're going to get both. So don't don't, don't. (laughs) figure it out. The silly ones? Okay. The silly ones. Osgood gets more chicken. Tommy (laughs) Dillon discovers radio. (laughs) Is is not the future television is, and he makes a career. <laughs> Do you think Tommy Dolan is gonna like time travel another thirty years or invent televisions? <laughs> yep, his experiences with Justin is just gonna walk him in, and and I also like to think that the Cooch Show is gonna go on the road for themselves. That's those are my silly. I mean, I don't think that the Cooch one is that much of a silly prediction. That seems like something that could definitely happen in in the real world. Yeah. 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 I agree. In terms of actual predictions and, yeah, you guys, (laughs) you nailed it, Monica. I don't remember a thing about season two. I I think that we're going to see Justin and Ben meet. I think that dream that we saw where Ben sees everyone with the razor blades and I can see through the smoke and mirrors that Justin is putting all around him and the fact that he can like 
challenge. Brother Justin, I, I think that's what we're headed is a showdown. The little bits that happen in between, I'm not so certain. I want to see less about the carnival and more about the supernatural since we kind of really, we love who we love. We hate who we hate. Let's get into it. And I hope Jonesy gets better too with his people skills as a small, small group. He picks up a nice self-help book about uh, self-esteem and making friends. Communication. Step one, don't blame the victim when they have been attacked. Sexually assaulted, yeah. Just the basics. Make it a five-pager. It doesn't have to be that big. If you were going to ship anyone next season, Jen, because we know that there is always going to be a little bit of an element of soap opera in Carnival, who would you uh, ship? When I was trying to be modern, I was like, well, why not Ben and Jonesy? They have have some chemistry and they can't talk to each other. I'm here for a Ben and Jones matchup. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. As we know from season one, they don't necessarily stick to heteronormative relationships. I also think Lila should get a new boyfriend. You know, on a serious note, I would like to say I'd like to see Ruthie and Samson make a thing. Why not? Well, they would be good. I kind of like it, yeah. They're rational. They've been around. Nothing's going to scare them too much. I I think that she could put him in his place, and I think he could make her feel special. From the pilot, we definitely saw that she's not afraid to stand up to Samson. And Gabriel would get a dad. It all works out. In season two, I would, if I was to, what I would hope is, if I'm going to blank out my brain from anything I know about season two, is I would hope they do something with Gabriel a little bit more than what they have for season one. I agree. But talking about character development, he's went in the reverse, right? So some of them went down in the second half of season one. But for him, he actually had a little light shined on his life when his mom was getting you know, recover dead, not recovering, but dead from the, the snake bite. And how he, uh, when he had his arm slash wrist, I'm not sure the exact bone that was broken, that happened. And he's sweet and less of a, okay, this is just another act in the show, but real person. So I think that would be great. Can I just say that I'm here for how you described Ruthie when she was getting dead by the snake? (laughs) I almost got dead out there. (laughs) Uh, What were you doing Tuesday? Oh, I was getting dead. Like in the pitch document or one of the documents I have, it says that Gabriel is supposed to have some sort of like empathetic gift, which I can guess I can see as he's really quick to forgive Ben when they got into that fight. But I do agree, wish they done more with Gabriel in season one. And even seeing like how, what his life is, like that's his mom, seeing their dynamic and seeing how they interact and relate to one another, I think would have also given Ruthie another layer to her character, which would have been great and can kind of shine light on a different kind of piece of the carnival. Oh, yeah, I totally agree. Then the second half, she wouldn't just been the lady who's got the crush on Ben. 
and going after Ben. Side stories you guys could have skipped, could have trimmed the fat. What are some you think should have gone away? The warrant for murder. Mm, yeah. At least they should have addressed it somehow. Yeah, totally. Yeah. And when I think about it, while it was really cool to see Brother Justin manipulate and run the house that is the asylum, I don't think I needed it. I could have skipped the whole Sophie all of a sudden liking Jonesy thing. I don't know if there was much point to it. I think it could have been better well done. Like, the way I viewed that whole thing was that Sophie was spiraling and Jonesy was the only rap she could cling to. So I, I don't know that I want like more or less of it. I just think that piece could have been better well done. I can agree with that. It just seemed that... I don't know. I was pretty shipping Libby and Sophie pretty hard. And I think Sophie, there was a lot of indications that Sophie had romantic feelings for Libby. But it feel it, you know, and for the first half of the whole thing, Sophie was like, "Eh, come on, Jonesy. We've talked about this before. And it just felt like such a quick coin flip. Of like, all of a sudden, the thing we were leading to with Libby is not on. And she is now all of a sudden romantically interested in Jonesy. Because Jonesy punched a face and Rita Sue said, you're lucky to have a man care about you like that. Well, that's why I was saying it could have been better done. Because that's the way it comes across. But they take Sophie and she's a, a normal girl. And then she has this kind of like flirtation with Libby and starts to like her and that can go somewhere but then she has this pretty significant bit of chaos in her home with her mom and the visions and everything I think that is at least makes more sense to me on why she would try to go to Jonesy because she's grew up with him that's like base that's even the the tension back and forth like somebody that Generally, she has just a, a foundation. Like when she doesn't know what to do, she goes to him for advice. Now he gives terrible advice, but she still goes to him. Yeah. So I think listening to you talk, I'm getting a theory in my head, and I'm just playing with this right now, is that maybe I think I can buy Jonesy and Sophie if we put her in the context of the relationship she grew up with her mom and how she has not had healthy relationships modeled for her. And when people grow up in uh, chaotic homes, they search out for chaos in relationship. And because that's what feels safe, that's what feels normal. And so maybe Libby and Sophie were pretty much the healthiest relationship on the show as far as communication and talking their feelings and they apologize to each other about not leaving. And, but Jonesy would feel safer to her because they are terrible at communication and it isn't a secure attachment. And so maybe that's why she goes towards him. Yeah. I also feel like, 
she she would think that getting married is the only way to leave the carnival. So that's probably why she's picking Jonesy over Libby. Maybe she doesn't even know that Libby can be a choice for her. Yeah. Or maybe Libby not going on earlier rules that out in her mind. So if we want to take the show and hold it up to shows of today and things that have come since, how do you all feel about that? Do you think it still stands out? You could still hang out with Big Dog? Oh, for sure. When I rewatched it at the beginning of the pandemic, I 100% was surprised how much it held up and how it didn't feel dated and on par with a lot of TV shows today. Like, I was not disappointed. It wasn't like, oh, that made me feel nostalgic. It was like, oh, shit, this is a good show. I think the fact that it's a period piece helps that a lot, too. It takes place in the 30s, and so versus if it took place in the early 2000s when it actually came out, that it would look so dated. But because it was this bygone era, it can keep moving and not seem out of style. Yeah, I think it's it's unfortunate that this show did come out 20 years ago because I think it would have a larger audience had it been released in today's world simply because it is so rich and diverse and has such an ensemble cast and the writing and everything. It's just, it's not the most provocative, right? Like, it's not going to be a Game of Thrones level. I say that not having seen Game of Thrones, but I I do think it's a show that would hit people, would resonate with them, even today, which I think is pretty cool because so much is that's produced in film and television isn't timeless. But this feels that way. Yeah, and I know in some of the more recent interviews with Daniel Knopf, he does say if it came out even 10 years later, he thinks it would have done better because at the time when this came out, there wasn't niche shows. And he has referenced Game of Thrones, and he's like, now we have Game of Thrones, which is very mystical, magical, medieval stuff. And then that, so they now trust these niche more shows to find their audience and give them time to find their audience more. And audiences are more used to more wackadoodle shows than they were before. Yeah, when this came on, this was like HBO's first like genre show because so far they only had like dramas like The Sopranos or comedies like Sex and the City. And I think one of the things that was the downfall is that they didn't really know how to advertise and market this show. But now they have plenty of experience with like Game of Thrones and True Blood and like Westworld that I think this would be thriving better today yeah Daniel Knopf also talked about how he would get on the boards the HBO boards and talk with people and the HBO execs would be like what are you doing you don't do that that's the nerds and he's no this is how we build our fan base this is where it starts but they didn't want him to reduce himself to that yeah I remember him in an interview asking hey HBO what do you guys want to do about comic-con then HBO was like what's comic-con 
Yeah. I'm like, if this was at Comic-Con, this would been fire. I, I think we could bring it back. Do a pyramid scheme, getting people to watch the show. You tell five of your friends and they tell five of theirs. Yeah. I think what is kind of a bummer is that HBO owns all the rights to the story. So Daniel Knopf wasn't able to tell the story in a comic books like he wanted or, you know, it was all, please, HBO, let us have our carnival. Do you think he'll ever get the rights back? And if he does, how do you think the story will be finished? Ooh, I will say I don't think he will get the rights back. And I think you should save that question till after season two. Will do. <laughs> I think that's a good question, though. I have a fun question. Yes. All right. Okay, let's pretend there is the reboot. Who are you casting in the reboot? CGI actors from 2002 to include Nick Stahl, Clancy Brown, <laughs> and so on and so forth. That's what I was say. So if it's a reboot, is it redoing the season one story or like them 40 years or 20 years? Well, I doubt they'll do like a season three. So I'm thinking like start fresh season one. The people I'm thinking of are like too old or like pretty well for samson um if we wanted to stick with someone who has dwarf dwarfism it's still peter de clinch but i also think steve buscemi would be a good samson too i'm halfway watching a brand new cherry flavor right now and katherine keener is in there and i i'm like i'm just casually thinking oh she would be a great iris or ruthie oh she would she really would I have a silly question, and it can go either way. There's an you know, A or B. So if you put yourself in the world of Carnival, what character do you think you would be? Or where would you see yourself as, alternatively, if you don't see yourself as any kind of character? I don't, I think I would definitely lean towards being in the carnival world more than the church world and I think I would my trajectory would probably follow a lot like Sophie's trajectory where she's not as someone who identifies more towards non-binary she is breaks also a lot of stereotypes about expectations and I think that's awesome i just think i'd probably just end up doing some thankless job at the carnival nothing special until they realize i have dance experience <laughs> <laughs> and then they'll do the cooch i'm like no if, if it makes you feel any better i would see you as a great apollonia oh yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Are you saying can lay there motionless pretty good? <laughs> that it could do. <laughs> She's knowledgeable and can psychically, you know, mess up with the world. That's amazing. Do you actually have I'll dance just... experience? I, I do. I used to take lessons when I was younger. You should totally be the cooch girl that gets everyone sucked into going to the more adult shows. That's what I feel like would happen, but not really what I would totally want to happen. I feel like I'd be like Dorme and just be dead behind the eyes. 
No. Aw. Yeah, because I'll just get whatever after a while. You're like, she's making people too sad. Get her off the stage. I'll be the one into the routine, though. Jen, you? What about you? Oh, I thought about this very carefully. And I know you both will agree that I would be the diner woman. Both. Now, I want to be very clear. The real diner woman and the dream diner woman that says every profit in our house. One, I get to be around really awesome avatars. Two, I get amazing music. And three, I get pie. It's like triple win. Yeah, solid. All right. <laughs> I knew you both would agree. <laughs> and the uniform for the diner looked like a lot more comfortable than some of the other outfits that people were wearing. Absolutely. I get to have decency. And probably some insurance. I don't know how well insurance benefits were in the 30s, but it's something. Now I really want pie. If you could hang out with a character for a day, who would it be? Okay. I say Brother Justin, but with the caveat that he can't, like, mind trick me. Tell me about why. That it would just be fun to tag along and see Ben's character is very passive and Justin's is very active he's trying to shape the world he's trying to build whatever crazies in his head and an interesting experience yeah i can see that how about y'all dora may she seems like a hoot post gray i'm gonna say samson because he probably has the best stories to tell yeah gutter would be a good one to hear stories from too management would talk too much and be too cryptic Norman would be a fun person to hang out with. Nice, normal Norman. Yeah. We could drive in his car. He has a nice car. You know, it's hard to believe the season's already over. It's went by really fast, and making the podcast also went by really fast. Is there anything about this experience that, I don't know, surprised you, either of you? I think for me, it is how fun this is, which is a very general thing. But for sure, when I saw the call on the internet, I was like, mm, we'll see. And it'd be like two other people never met in real life. We'll see how this goes. And it's a really nice evening. And it's fun getting to know you guys. And it's fun chatting about this show and hearing all the theories and analyzing it and debating. And I guess how fun it is. I don't know about surprising, but I'm enjoying finally, like, well, this isn't really a show I really recommend to people because I know it's pretty niche. It ends kind of weird. But, you know, if you ask me what's my favorite show, I will say it's this. But I do like that I've been able to share my, I don't know, excitement and theories of the show. I really like, I think just learning how to, just learning about this whole podcast thing has been interesting. And even though I'm kind of, like, nervous every time, like, even right now, <laughs> <laughs> I still have a good time, and I, and I have fun, and I've been really enjoying this a lot, yeah. Yeah, the first time I saw this, I think I was alone, and watched it, enjoyed it, moved on with my life. And even though we don't all watch this in the same room, it's been really great to have a couple people to talk about the show with, because I get excited, and I really enjoy what I'm watching, and by doing this podcast, it feels like we are all watching together. And that's been really cool. And 
considering this is like a first time for all of us, I'm really glad that we got together and made this. Yeah, the very first time I was watching this episode or this show, uh, when it was on the air, I was watching with a friend of mine and we'd get together every week and watch this. And then probably about three fourths the way through season one, she's I'm done. It's too slow. (laughs) I'm over it. And then I kept going and I always wish she hung on just a little bit longer. So it's nice, as you guys said, talking to people about this. All right, that's it for our season one retrospective. I hope that you enjoyed listening to what we had to say. All right, my name is Tana. My name's Monica. And I'm Jen. Thank you, listeners. If you have any questions, comments, or random bits of trivia you'd like to send us, we could be reached at threecarniespodcast at gmail.com. Tune in next week when we start with season two. Thanks, friends. Bye. Bye. Bye.